Hi, I'm your host Keshav Chauhan and this is Milliseconds, an attempt at personifying all the things we see but don't think about. Ever wondered what good design means and feels like? What could be the parameters that affect the way we perceive things? What would a world without color feel like? This episode features Helm, an alumnus of Parsons School of Design, one of the best design schools in the United States, currently working as a community and partnership manager at ADP List. In this conversation, we explore the intangible nature of design, the reasons why we gravitate towards a brand, and what it really means to be a designer. Hi, Helms. Glad to have you on the show. Super excited. Like, how are things going on in life and like just designing in general? Yeah, thank you for having me. Everything is fine. Um, it's been a pretty exciting couple of months, quarter, year, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. Do you think things are moving way too fast as you would have expected? Honestly, my life has always been way too fast, so I don't I don't really understand what that means. I mean, I think if it depends on your point of reference. Um yeah. because I have always done more than one thing at the same time and yeah, I feel like my 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 standard is just a little different in that regard. That that showed us. I think uh, we are moving into a world where like Uh, this is my theory and assumption i think it it will most certainly be true so what i think is that after some point of time people or a person with the best uh, like most qualified person in one skill will be the person doing every work in that area uh, that's my theory because uh, for example there is a let's suppose there is a technology writer he writes blogs and he's the world's number one in, in that zone in that domain so it's very easy for him to write a blog for everyone just he just wants to open a website i think this can also be done for other stuff like designing or machine learning on ai and i think one of the reasons people can do it is by communities like by engaging with people so that other people can get to know them better and like prove him like he can also prove him the prove to other people that i am good at at this particular skill i can collaborate on this particular project with you so i think yeah that's what makes a community a better place it's essentially a real world in a virtual uh, environment so stimulating that same effect. Yeah. So I'm also a very big fan of communities. Yeah, and you know, we go back to sharing is caring, right? Because Yeah. If you so again, whatever you put out, whatever look at it as an investment. I think a lot of people think, yeah, but I'm going to waste time networking. What is that going to give me? That's the thing. If you get into a community or even a relationship of any sort, right? With that transactional yeah. mindset, You're of you're, of course you're not going to get anything out of it because no one wants to be exploited in that like human beings don't want to be exploited in that way that's not how human yeah. being works um i feel like on the other hand if you understand that everything in life can be a learning experience whoever you meet can teach you something either could be something that you want to do or something that you're learning that that's not what you want to do or like whatever lesson you can take out of it and you come into all the situations with a mindset i feel like you can always learn about yourself bottom line if you're not learning a technical skill or i don't know whatever external things you can always learn something about yourself when you're interacting with another human being and let alone like a group right 
when you're in a community, there's so many opportunities for you to see how you're going to react, what kind of things you're going to say. Because here's the thing, I feel like sometimes we think we know ourselves really well until we're faced with someone else that has a very different opinion of us. And then we have to to be there to do that thing, yeah. to be in that moment, right? And when that happens, I can speak from personal experience only, of course, but those are the moments that I, I was challenged, I grew, I've learned, and made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that diversity is the thing that, like, make me so empathetic, make me care about people, make me behave the way I do, basically. So I feel like if you're open for that change, if you're open for that gift, if you, if you want to be present for that present in that moment that you're in, that person that you're mm-hmm. present with, I feel like that's yeah. always available for us, you know? And it's a simple choice. It's just the choice to show up and be present for it. It's not a transaction. It's a potential yeah. relationship, if not with someone else, at least with yourself, for sure. Yeah. Like uh, you mentioned about transaction, like to quote Elon Musk here, he, uh, he spoke this in, in a podcast with Lex Friedman. So he said that at, at the base level, we all are playing zero-sum games with each other. We want to defeat someone to be good at it. And that's the reason which uh, why I feel people are doing online stuff like uh, podcasts or people creating anything online find it very hard to grow. Because they essentially want to defeat someone else in order to grow, which is not a good mindset to be in. So, yeah, we should be targeting to play, like, we should be focusing on playing non-zero-sum games as opposed to uh, zero-sum games. So that, that's what I think. Yeah, and honestly, for me, that's why perspective and point of view is so important to me and why I love the yeah. diversity of people who have different points of view. Because, honestly, you can look at things, you can look at life and say, oh, yeah, this happened to me. Yeah. Or you can think this happened for me. Yeah. For That's my growth, point. for my understanding, for my whatever purpose you want to put into it. But like, and that's the choice that you can make. I see a lot of people, and of course, in a lot of cultures around the world, we're conditioned, right? To delegate responsibility to external approval, to acknowledgement, to compliments, to whatever you want to call it. Like, right? Recognition. Um, status, money, like you name it, right? There's so many, so many external triggers, external motivations too, right? And honestly, if you if you study motivation, there are two main types of, I don't want to get too technical here, but there's two main types of motivation, external and internal motivations, right? And external motivations are the things that, like you're either punished or reward, reward for. So for example, if I go good on school, right, my parents are going to give me money or they're going to, I don't know, say something good or like reward me in some way. But on the other hand, if I commit a crime, I will be punished and take my freedom taken away from me because I broke the law. But the internal motivation comes from the place of like, I'm doing this because I want to. Yeah. And that's a powerful place because no one touches that. It's just you. It's just you with yourself and there's nothing like you can be rewarded, punished, whatever. Like if you want to do the thing and you're willing to deal with the consequences. Yeah. That's nice. You see what I'm saying? So like. Yeah, expanding. I would, I would have to like say something on that. So there are two types of triggers as well. External mm-hmm. triggers and internal triggers, mm-hmm. which many social media apps and many web app, websites and apps use. For example, someone wakes up in the morning, he checks Instagram. Mm-hmm. There's no external trigger. That's mm-hmm. an internal trigger. Yeah. He, there's something inside of him which, uh, like, I, uh, many, for many people it's loneliness, something like that, or sometimes it's addiction. So that's an internal trigger. 
and notifications that's an example of external trigger the app wants you to use it so yeah, yeah. essentially it's like exploiting those two motivations internal and external yeah yeah no and there is a science behind algorithms and behavior it's not yeah. just math it's a lot of human knowledge there for you to be able to understand how a persona thinks and what's going to trigger them triggers are very interesting if you think about it because I feel like you can have a lot of negative triggers in the meaning of like it's it's a, like a vice or like something like the things you might, like a fear or a deficit in any way. Like I I don't feel connected, therefore I will blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's one of the things that people actually admire so much in social media influencers or things like that. Right? Is because they look like they don't need any of that. They don't yeah. need the external validation or the notifications or the, 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 because they do it because they want to, because they do it because of the confidence, because they see the confidence, but people yeah. don't understand where it comes from. And in my opinion and experience, that comes from if you know what you want, that's what you want. Hmm. And that's that. That's true. So I had a question that like uh, intrigues me to till this day. So when we're designing a service or any app, there's, there are two things essentially, designing for the business and designing for the users. Hmm. And what my take is that when we are designing for a user and improving the user's experience, it essentially is improving the business as well. So why are we categorizing as these two different things or like these, a North Pole and a South Pole? So actually, okay, I need to go into some history now because that's a very, okay. that's a, 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 that's something that's been building up and you need to understand where it comes from because otherwise okay. you're just going to be around your own tail. So here's the thing. Um, Design was created and developed in Europe, and there's a lot of history there, right? But it started yeah. in the industrial area, function, forms, follows function type of thing, right? So the understanding that we have, the world has on design is very premature in the sense that a lot of cultures around the world don't even speak English to understand what design even means, the word. Yeah. Now, we're, if we're talking about English-speaking cultures where design is actually a word and you understand what it is, and et cetera, the understanding of the word design is actually interesting because if you think about design, you think about a thing, right? You think about a beautiful thing, like a chair or an interface, a thing, right? Tangible things. Yeah. But, but here's where it gets interesting, right? Strategic design is the field of design that talks about the intangible things. So when you're talking about services, mm -hmm. services, you can have touch points in the journey that you're interacting with, but the yeah. service over Uber, right? It's an interface, but actually if you just have the app and you don't have the Uber coming to you, like the actual car and the person driving, it's a service, right? The app without that, but there's a lot of backend things that happen for that to happen, for the, for the guy to come to you and drive you and all of that. And for you to get to where you need to go yeah. and all of that. So that falls, falls into service design, for example, right? Which is more than the interface. Yeah. The thing, going back to your question, if you understand that, right? Strategy, strategic design is a field within design that works in my opinion right if i think design is a tree i usually think there's two main roots tangible and tangible i like to call tangible product intangible strategic design there's other mini roots below them yeah. right yeah 
if you look into tangible product design, you are going to have graphic, you're going to have UI, you're going to have all the tangible fashion design, furniture design, you're going to have all the tangible things. Then yeah. on the other end, in the intangible side, we have service, design research, business modeling, business design or organizational design. Uh, we have things that work with the business strategy side of the back end that people don't see in the front end of design. They don't see in the interface. Yeah. So the thing that I see connecting them is what everyone kind of calls UX. And the way UX mm. as a term has been building up, and again, this is just my personal opinion and understanding of how design has been thinking out since I've been in the industry since 2008. So take yeah. it with a grain of salt, right? This is just my understanding so far. So yeah. I see in the middle of the two extremes, right? UX. And UX is a very loose term that the market, the industry, like the world, right? employers, companies that are not design-driven understood UX as like what we designers learn to be designed because we learned that we are designing for a user. Like if you're not designing for yeah. a user, who are you designing for, right? Hmm. But the way yeah. other companies that are not designed, born in design or design-driven, they understood UX as like, great. So yeah, let's make the user happy with an interface kind of idea. But that's, you yeah. see, it's a loose understanding of design. And that's the thing. I feel like it's part of the design industry role to educate other people who are not designers to understand what that means. The yeah. point being, we have other types of UX, right? Strategy, research, we have all kinds of other things connecting all the dots here. But what I want, from this understanding, what I want to share is this. You see how this is a lot of behavior, industry behaving and using UX and design and the definition of design, where actually, if you look at the etymology of the word design, design comes from the Latin word designum, which means to designate meaning. Okay. So you see how interfaces, it's a lot of ways that we incorporated that into manifesting it into the world of business modeling or product or whatever it is that we are doing as designers, right? Yeah. But if you think about it, you're thinking about a process of really signifying things. You're thinking about a process of meaning. That's what we are designing here. And when you think about yeah. the user, for example, right? When we are designing for the user, we want to understand what meaning they attached to the product or the service or the thing right? That's the front end type of looking thing. When you're looking at the back end, designers don't speak numbers. Most of the time, I'm not saying I'm generalizing here. I apologize for that. I don't yeah. like it. But yeah, designers learn to speak the user language, which is very human. They learn to ask the right questions and be interested and empathetic and understand how can they can solve that specific problem through the user's perspective. On yeah. the other end, if you don't have how to pay the designers, you see you have a problem. Like, you have a problem. Like, it's not sustainable. So when it comes to that, that's where I feel like the gap really is. Because, and I'm not saying all designers need to speak business or numbers or whatever. I think if, if you want to, and there are a lot of designers who become project managers or design leads who naturally are interested in things like that. They want to know how much the budget is. They want to know how to manage the yeah. timeline. They want to talk to all the different stakeholders in the project to make sure everyone is aligned. But then we're talking about management and leadership skills. We're not talking about design skills. In a way, 
they are designing all the stakeholders' experiences around this project or deliverable or business sustainability or whatever you want to call it. But yeah. you see, it's a whole different ball game. You're talking about something else now. And I'm not, again, you can have both. You can be a great designer and have the management, I'm going to call management leadership skills. Yeah. But you don't have to have the two of them. Sometimes you, you have them in the two people. For example, I am a designer, but I don't know how to use Adobe to this very day. Like if you do Figma with me, yeah. I'm going to be like, okay, teach me because I have no idea how this works. Um, hmm. What I do know how to use for strategies, Excel, or like Google Sheets to be very specific. That's what I yeah. use, or Miro, or a piece of paper. Like that I navigate well. But if you put me into Figma, I'm going to be like, okay, where, what? What? Mm, yeah. So I feel like, your question is more about understanding the world and all of the things that we are talking in matters of who understands what and why. Then it is really about designers or, okay, the founder is a jerk because he doesn't understand design and the designers don't understand the engineers. And, you know, if you take the yeah. approach of like them versus us, it's never going to work. When you understand the holistic vision of the system we're talking about here, we need, we need the finance people too. Like designers, if they're going to run a company, we're going to fail very fast. Like I don't trust designers to run a finance side of a company. So you yeah. see what I'm saying? Like if you understand that like designers have a role, it's really important for them to have the freedom to do what they're good at just as much as anyone else. And the people who run numbers, sometimes they can be designers too, which is great because then you can bridge the user and the business and the numbers and the things. Yeah. I feel like the thing is when you're not building a product or a business with a design founder or someone who is at least design aware, that's where we start clushing things, right? Because companies need to innovate. Companies need to level up in whatever way you want. Like if it's not innovation, it's incrementally by improving their services. And design does that. Design is the place that does that. So I feel like it's more a problem of unawareness and lack of education on everyone's side because designers don't know how to speak numbers and people who are good with numbers don't really understand the design process and what it's for. So I feel like it's yeah. more a conversation that you need to have to find the middle ground so you can work together than actually as us versus them kind of play game. I think that's very inefficient. Yeah. You mentioned Adobe recently. So I had like example of on that lines. So uh, there's a thing around Adobe that canceling an Adobe subscription is very, very hard. But that's an area, I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky because uh, from a design perspective, it's benefiting the business but it's not benefiting the users because users want to cancel that tax provision because, but they are not unable to do that. So yeah, that's, I think that's a, a good, a difficult thing about design, which designers need to understand, like uh, finding the right balance between business and UX, uh, which, we, which we call these days. So yeah, that yeah. was a great explanation for sure. So I had a like very different question from, uh, from here, like mm -hmm. moving on a different tangent. Let's so go. what do you think uh, good design generally means? What, what's your take on this? Let me refer to this term. Well, that's the thing, right? If you learn design, I think you're going to understand that I will have to understand what you mean when you say good. Let's start there. If this is a brief, right? And you're telling me yeah. what is good design? What do you mean when so you say my good? So uh, my definition of good is that uh, 
letting the user accomplish what he wants to in the mm. easiest and the least in the most efficient way possible that's okay. that's what i mean do you yeah. think that so let's go back to your question previously okay if you do yeah. that and you put the entire health of the business in jeopardy to do that do you think that that's good design so that's not jeopardizing business in a way because i'm just hypothetically be... saying i'm not saying it is i'm yeah. saying if yeah. for you if the cost you have to pay to do that for your user is yeah. putting the entire business financial health at risk yeah do you think okay. that's good design no that's not a good design in, so you see it's not it's not just helping the user get what they need yeah that's see what right. i'm saying but my my theory is that uh, if we are like providing a very good experience to the user uh-huh. uh we can uh, find some ways to monetize the product uh, mm-hmm. and also like uh, stay consistent with it but it's very difficult in pra- practically exactly uh, practically that's that the point we can yeah. talk hypotheticals here for hours yeah, that's true we can talk about theoretical things that should work you know mm-hmm. But if there's one yeah. thing that I have learned working with strategy is this. You know when when I say strategy, a lot of people usually think strategic planning. Let's make a plan. Planning, yeah. right? Plan. Yeah. Strategy equals plan. That's not strategy. Mm-hmm. That's not strategy. If there's one thing that I have learned working with strategy is this. We make plans to know exactly what's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's what we make them. For. Tell me one plan that you made that happened exactly as you planned. Please tell me. Yeah. Can't can't recall any <laughs> as of now. That's my point. I haven't met a person in my life who could answer this question and say, yeah. "Yes, no, there is this thing I did happened exactly as I planned." Mm-hmm. Because we have a pandemic, because people get sick, because people die, because people change their minds and they go somewhere else, because things happen. Situations yeah. happen, and here's the thing. When you're working on a fixed, set it rigid mindset and environment, you don't have space to deal with the changes as they come that's why the mvp fail fast type of mentality agile right serves yeah. so well this purpose of like let's grow because if you are just it's like for example let's look at education right if i need to get all of the answers right in a test i don't have space to collaborate with other people and see if there are other answers Hmm. Yeah. Which actually is how we need to behave if we're in an environment with other people. Like unless you're a solo entrepreneur who does everything by yourself and you have to work with other people, even if you are a solo entrepreneur, you need to deal with users or something. Like there's people you're going to have yeah. to interact with. But that's the thing. We are conditioned, I feel most people, we I mean most people in the world culturally speaking, right? There's a lot of cultures in the world that condition people to see things as right or wrong not as contextually as things actually need to be contextualized for example yeah. is there a right or wrong way to serve a certain user no that's mm-hmm. why the diversity of providers of services works so well there's space for everybody because none of them are going to do the same thing for the user so for example uber or lyft or whatever other service There is space for everybody. There is a space for just women drivers and women servers users. There is a space for just I don't know LGBTQ. I don't know. Like there is a space for everyone. 
Because that's the thing. Yeah. It's not a single solution. And no one is going to provide the service in the same way. So whenever you're approaching this, what is good design problem or question, you see what I'm saying? Design is contextual on the core of it. There is no good or bad design. There is whatever works for the situation, this user, plus the amount of resources you have. Then you're actually being reasonable in the design. That you, I wouldn't say good. I'm saying reasonable because that's the thing. You can plan for the best design in the world. But let's say you need a million dollars. Do you have a million dollars? Do you know how to ask money for founders for, for funding? For founders. Do you know how to ask for investment? Because if you don't and you need a million dollars to make this beautiful design, it's just an idea in your head. But yeah. if you can MVP and get traction and do smaller versions so you can have numbers and ask for money get the investment and get to the million dollar version of it. But that's life. And that's the thing, right? I feel like sometimes, that, and that's why when I'm saying designers don't speak numbers, that's why I think this is an important conversation is because they don't need to learn how to make money. They need to understand what is viable and reasonable and doable. Because sometimes as designers, we want like a million of budget because we want to do a research and because we want to do... And I'm not saying we should do research and super pro research. It's just, is yeah. this doable? Is this the moment? Can we actually afford that right now? Yeah. Those are the questions that designers don't ask their bosses, their businesses. They don't really understand that. And one of the things that I tell my mentees in my group sessions always, I say, think about the business as a client. Think about the business as a user. They are using your services as a designer, aren't they? Yeah. So are, why aren't you asking all of those questions to your user as a service provider, as a designer? That, that's really nice. When you get that context, you can do reasonable yeah. design and design is always going to have backslash. There is no design that's going to be perfect, but what you can design for is to have X amount of impact that is doable for you to help someone to have a better quality of life. That's all you can do as a designer. There is no perfect design, in my opinion. There is universal. People talk about universal design. I think that's bullshit. You cannot design for everybody. I don't think that's yeah, true. Because, yeah. Everything's context. That's, that, that's true for sure. I have a follow-up on this. Do you think that uh, two projects or two services, which are essentially having the same, same target audience, they're targeting the same people, same users, can they be solely differentiated just on the basis of design and nothing else? For example, let's I think take depends on Tinder the and let's take Tinder and Bumble. Mm. So they, they are two dating apps which mm -hmm. want to match people mm -hmm. and they essentially have the same target audience. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, by just like by adding two, three features and keeping the design different, we can create two different products entirely? No. Here's why. Okay. If you look at Simon Sinek's uh, TEDx talking about the Start With Why book and yeah. all of that, you will very quickly learn that people connect with why you do things, not what you do. So okay. if you look at the functionality, functionality is on the what. Yeah. You don't connect with that. People are not going to choose, I think, right? From my understanding and experience, this is just my opinion. But here's the thing, right? Let's say 
you're choosing between t- Tinder and Bumble. I don't use them, so I don't know. <laughs> but like, yeah. let's, I'm going to, let me use another simpler example that I actually understand. Uh, let's get sure, Burger sure. King and McDonald's. Burgers. Yeah, They're both selling burgers. Buns, yeah. meats, lettuce, mayo, same. Yeah. And also let us assume that, let's assume that in the parallel universe, both have exactly the same taste. Every product. Okay. Sure. Sure, we can, but that's, that's where it gets impossible because okay. you're not going to have the same people doing it. The way it's done, the way the whole business's design is different. See what I'm saying? I think we can, we can have a better example as to this. Let's take an example of Netflix and Amazon Prime. Mm. They're both essentially showing the same movies on the same, mm. uh, on different platforms, mm. but they are differentiated on the basis of design. So now this I don't is think something... that's a good example because the type okay. of content that they provide is very, very different in the core of it. Okay. They're not providing the same types of entertainment. And their strategies is different too because Amazon Prime has a business model where you can, you can pay more for different types of channels. It's yeah. different. So if you look at burgers, right? Burgers. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. let's say they taste the same. Sure. Okay, done. The thing here is, some people go to McDonald's for a certain, like, let's go you. W- which one do you prefer? Burger King or McDonald's? Burger King. Okay, why? Hmm. Never thought of that, but... Uh... <laughs> Just play with me. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Okay, I like the burgers more, but we're assuming both of them had the same taste. So I think I need to provide a better answer to this. Uh, there you go. You see the reason why you prefer yeah. it's, it's, it's personal. It's not something you can even yeah. describe. Yeah. And it's not necessary. Okay. They taste better, but you see your so palate, what, yeah, like your taste palate yeah. is the reason <laughs> okay, so why you like one me, better let, than the other. Sure. So let me answer this. I think Burger King, uh, focuses, it's more vertically, uh, uh focused as compared to McDonald's. So McDonald's mm-hmm. serves a lot of different stuff, which Burger King is now coming up with. It, it only started with burgers. It's doing just one thing and that is doing perfectly well. That's what I, I assume. But yeah, there could be many answers to this. But yeah. There is. That, so again, you could have answered anything for me. Like literally. Yeah, yeah. Literally anything. You see how yeah. personal that is? It's your personal point That's of true. view, perspective. And the reason why you want it more than the But still, they're providing burgers, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. See what I'm saying? So, and that's the thing, right? When you look at it that way and you look back at Simon Sinek, what you're going to understand is this, for example. Why do you connect to one influencer and not the other one? Or why do you like one one actor and not the other one? Or why do you feel connected to a type of person than the other one? Hmm. It's the same thing here. It's not about the features. It's not about the what. It's about the why. So, yeah. you see, I asked you, why do you like Burger King? Oh, many reasons. Blah, 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 blah. It's personal. You, it's connection. Yeah. There's something in that brand that McDonald's doesn't translate, doesn't communicate. That's the point. Yeah. Burger King communicates something to you that McDonald's doesn't, even though they provide the same service, product, whatever you want to call it. Tinder and Bumble have, even if they say the same interface, the same functionality, the same everything, you're not going to find the same people in there because 
the founder, the history of the company, the way they engaged people, what they did and what they didn't on social media, their image, yeah. all of that builds connection with the users. That's the yeah. thing. It's not the bigger button, color button. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I completely understand. Let's go even deeper in this. So let's let's assume uh, now there is this world which has no color in it. It's completely grayscale. Hmm. So now we are uh, like removing a barrier of uh, feelings, our feelings exploiting because we have removed colors uh, for for every brand. Do you really and think that? Do you really think that the fact that we're taking away color is doing all of that? Seriously? I think it's it's doing something to our brains. Then please explain to me why silent movies still got people to cry. I've never heard of this, uh, to be honest. Silent movies are like very old movies, right? Before we could actually okay. associate image with audio to have a movie. Okay. So, yeah. a lot of years ago. Uh, you know Charles Chaplin? You've no, never heard, not of heard of him. So, he is one of the big famous, like his, his movies are very traditional. Like, if you like movies, his movies are amazing yeah. because here's the thing they're all black and white. They're all black and okay. white. Yeah. And if you understand the message, if you really watch one of the, the movies, right, you will understand inherent questions, struggles, sentiments from people that of that time. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking you, like, and, and that's the kind of movie that, like, makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes yeah. you feel the same thing. So I'm asking you, like, do you really think that taking out color is really going to take away the emotion? So uh, I'll ask you a counter question on this. Hmm. Do you think adding color adds some emotions to uh, a movie or an experience? I think that depends on your personal visual background. For okay. example, sound. Most, yeah. like, I think we can think that like sound and color, right? You're thinking, think about someone blind. Yeah. Does that mean that they have a mm. worse experience with an Apple phone? Because they don't see the colors of it. Or someone who is colorblind. Do they have a mm. worse experience? Is that what makes the experience, uh, the connection? Hmm. That's a really hard question. <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, yeah. I can tell you because I have friends who are blind, who are deaf. Okay. It's yeah. not about that. That's the thing. The brand, the connection, it's... Of course it helps because visually, right? If you grew up with a lot of black and white things and then you see a bunch of color, it's going to be like, oh my God, this is weird. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But if you have grown a lot with a lot of color, for example, in India, I know that colors in India are like beautiful. Think about Holly. Like it's yeah. an explosion of colors, right? Yeah. But if you think about a more conservative country in a cold place that has a lot of snow throughout the year, Think about Alaska. They don't see color. They yeah. don't see a lot of color because everything is white. So you yeah. see, it depends on your personal background. And then we can go into semiotics, but I'm not going to get technical again. So the point yeah. being, depends on your background. You know, there was this designer, there's a documentary on Netflix. I think you might have watched it, The mm. Art of Design. Uh, mm. I'll suggest anyone listening to this uh, must watch so there's this, I think in season two, there's this designer, I forgot his name. So what he did was very, very crazy thing. So in his first exhibition, 
he chose a light that would block out color every amount of color that people are wearing or people can see so when people entered the hall it was an empty hall nothing nothing there just people who were who were there for the exhibition they could own, see each other and themselves in black and white everything now shifted to themselves instead of the other things that we do in an exhibition which was a really really good concept i think uh, creativity on next level what what's your thought on this like uh, like removing color from a room and any external stimuli or stim- response uh, like shifts the focus on us rather than the thing yeah mm-hmm. that's why again i go back to the silent movies because silent movies sometimes they have song but yeah. a lot of them don't and yeah again i go back to the point of reference because here's the thing think about a blind person right if they've seen before are they going to miss view like are they going to miss colors but if you've never seen yeah. color before if you've never seen a shape if you don't know what a shape is visually yeah then how are you going to feel about that you have a different relationship to visuals you see yeah that's true and going back to my point like if you grew up around very organic curves seeing a lot of squares is going to feel weird so mm. i feel like when you talk about yourself i love your question because here's the thing do you know your biases so you can understand why yeah. you feel what you feel when the stimulus is out yeah can you actually have a conscious process of understanding this process do you know yourself that well to understand this that's my question I, I'm not you asking you. I'm asking like in general, right? I'm saying like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the answer to your question depends on the person. If you want to find the answer yeah. to that question, these are the kinds of things I think could help you figure out the answer for you. Also, I'm a mentor. I think my opinion yeah. doesn't really matter much. So I I like it, helping it people does. find their own opinions about things. <laughs> But if you ask me, right? Yeah. I grew up with a lot of color around me, sure. But honestly, I'm not mm. a colorful person. I had to push myself to insert color in my life. And living in India actually helped me a lot. Like before I went to India, a, a lot of my clothes were like beige or black. Like mm. that was yeah. the main thing. And after being in so much stimulus, yeah, I actually started like loving other colors and finding out that like maybe my favorite color it is it's not blue just because it calms me down, but it's actually magenta. and turquoise because they're exciting you know so i feel like yeah. i didn't have that exposure growing up to those colors that's not a thing even as a kid right and i've always been an artist and a painter but still yeah. my relationship with color was different and it's more about how i related to it than about the thing itself if that makes sense that that was a perfect answer I think this is one of the most deep deeper and like stimulating conversation on the show which I have ever had so yeah just just uh, a question which I have what do you like what do you want to say to young designers who are listening to this like how can they develop their design skills in such a way so that they are like past like they get past like this tangible stuff and also move into the intangible stuff so because I think many young designers have this perception that design is just graphics which is entirely not true which you just said that Uh, yeah so what's your what's your thought on this i will explain this by telling the story of how i found it out for myself so when i got Perfect. to parsons right first week of class 
my I was having a bunch of maybe I even said this I'm, or maybe I said this to another person in another conversation today. Um, yeah. I got to my first week of classes and there was a lot of people coming into the stage and speaking for hours every day. So there's this one guy, right? He comes up. He became a mentor after. Um, and mm. he comes up. He speaks for like less than a minute. Here's what he says. Mm. He's, and this is one of the best schools in the U.S., just for context, right? So, yeah. so he comes and says, if you're here and you think that having a diploma from this school is going to make you a great designer, you are wrong. If you want to be a great designer, you need to understand what design means to you, not your users, not your boss, not your client, not your teachers, not authors, you, and you find out how you want to put it out in the world and you actually do it because if you don't do it, it's not worth anything. And then he leaves, legit, he leaves the stage and at this point of my life, young me was like such a nerd, right? Because yeah. I was like reading and knowing everything by heart and like, and so he leaves them like, okay, so all the efforts, all the things they've done down the drain and I'm lost and in crisis, went to therapy for this, like actually went into crisis. Um, okay. And then yeah. basically that was one of the best things that ever happened to me because here's what happened afterwards. Now that I knew what was actually worth pursuing, it was an yeah. inner journey of really understanding. So when I'm telling you design comes from the Zignum, that's how I yeah. got to understand that. Because when he said, find out what design means to you. So I was trying to define and designing the, the definition, for, like designing what design meant to me for a lot of time. Yeah. I spent years yeah. on it. And then it was so fun because if you look at my TEDx, right, I start by saying, I like... To, to translate abstract things. I like to translate them. I don't say tangibilize them. I say translate them. And if you look into design, the signum, right? Which is designate meaning. Isn't that the same thing? Like in my opinion, there's a lot of similarities there. So yeah. for me, I feel like when you... So here's... So I defined it for myself. Then I found out about the Latin word and now it everything makes sense to me. But now maybe the people listening to this, right? Early on designers, they're like, okay, sure. Designing meaning, sure. Yes, great. But that's the thing. It's the Latin definition. It's not what you're designing for the meaning to be okay. for yourself. So that's my advice, I think, which honestly, I don't like advising people or anything. But if you're lost, I have been there. And the way that I found clarity around this, which clarity is like one of the best things, I think. I think if you can find clarity on things, I, I mean, that for me is part of design. If you're, I'm really going to find things and finding my own clarity about them. So if you can mm -hmm. find clarity on what design means to you, I think you're on a good path because you're not delegating it to someone else. Not even to me, for example. Yeah. You, can, you can get my definition, sure. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to put it out in the world? Are you actually going to do that? So you see, for you, I think design is a, a job. It's not a job for me. It's not my life philosophy, honestly. Like the intentionality that comes with understanding that as a design process comes with every decision you make. And I don't think you can design intentionally from a place of external validation 
or triggering or anything like that. You really need to understand what you want. What kind of design you want to put it out in the world? Because here's the thing. Designers can make the world look like anything you want. They can build up a company and make people believe it's real overnight without even having an LLC or anything set up, without having a product, without having anything. Designers can make belief like crazy, like crazy. And that's one of the things I think people don't realize. Designers are like superheroes, in my opinion. We have a lot of superpowers. And when you understand where you want to put your superpower towards the kind of impact you want to build with it, that's a good place for you to start figuring out what design means to you. That's the best tip that I can give you. For me, it was like doing a post-grad in social enterprises, doing a lot of mentoring, understanding what mentoring meant to me, understanding myself as a designer. So I started, right, I, I decided I wanted to be a designer when I was 13, started studying design when I was 15, got into college, all of that. But I was in and out. Like, I loved design from the moment I saw it. I cried about it. I was like, this is love of my life kind of thing, really emotional. Um, yeah. And then I broke up with it. And I was like, I'm not a designer anymore. I'm a project manager and a consultant and I'm not. And then now we're back together. And I'm like, yeah, you're always going to be a part of my life because design is not a profession to me. Design is a part of who I am as a person. Yeah. It's part of my life. And I think you go back to the question, right? That my professor asked, like all of the three questions. Because if you understand that design has an impact in the world that is much bigger than you and it's much bigger than your yeah. skills. And for you to put it out, you cannot do it alone. You can develop the whole website, but if you don't know how to deliver the logistics, if you, you see like it's a group effort. It takes a village for design to actually build impact in the world. And once you understand what kind of impact you want to put out, once you understand yourself as a designer, experiment, right? I had to try out different types of design. I, I was a design research, branding, like, I did different things up until the point where I'm like, I'm a strategic designer because of course it includes a bunch of other things. I am an organizational culture specialist because one of the things that I found out too in my journey, but you see, I'm telling you my story here, strategy and culture go together in my opinion, because if you just plan strategy and do strategy and the culture is a lot aligned, no impact is going to happen. So you see, design works with other things. That's why the multicultural, multidisciplinary approach, collaborative approach in design is so important. And I'm, I feel like I'm just speaking about obvious aspects of design here, but maybe that's good for people who don't understand that yet. But point being, if you understand how you want to work as a designer, there's a lot of solo designers, right? That work and and do their thing and come back. And like, if you understand what what that entire, you design your own universe. That's what I'm saying here. If you want to be a designer, design your own design field, design your own design career, profession, job, create a company. Don't create a company. It's up to you to design whatever it is that you want out of your career as a designer. You might as well do it. You know, if you're going to design for other people, you might as well start with yourself. I think I can summarize this in one line what you said. So I have this like uh, one line definition of what design means to me. So suppose there's a bridge. Uh, which is connecting a city of abstracts and on the other end a town of concretes mm-hmm. so design is working on that bridge that's that's what uh, i think is that's what my definition is I, I like it because it's very uh short and it has a lot of meaning to it so yeah 
that's what i think this was this was really interesting helen thanks for being on the show glad Absolutely. you liked it my pleasure yeah. anytime perfect have, have a great day ahead thank bye you bye bye hey thanks a lot for sticking till the end hope you had an amazing time if you enjoyed this episode do give us a rating and subscribe on spotify or wherever you listen for any questions or feedback regarding the podcast you can email me at milliseconds hq@gmail.com stay tuned cheers